Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. It is December. Anyone happy? Anyone stressed out? A few people? I get a bit stressed out because uh, it's the month of the year where it's culturally appropriate and in some households like mine, it is is necessary to be taking songs from the last 15 centuries (laughs) and blasting it for a whole day. And uh, it it hurts my musical sensibilities, (laughs) but I put up with it because I love Vic. And so it's just something I have to do, you know, give and take. Every other day of the, day of the year is death metal. Um, but for one month, we get to listen. <laughs> no, I don't actually like death metal. Please do not give that to us as a Christmas gift, if you were thinking. <laughs> you get like corn or something. <laughs> but we are starting a brand new series. And I love new series, and I love setting them up because it really kind of just, uh, it's exciting, it's stuff that uh, for Beck and I, we, we are thinking about this for quite a while, and then to be able to get it out there into the life of the church is really exciting, and the, the series is called God Refocused, and really the whole series is about expectation, and I don't know if you've ever um, had an experience where someone gave you an expectation of how the world works, um, and, and so you kind of live life with that kind of understanding, oh, okay, so uh, that's something I can expect. For example, I grew up in Singapore, and in Singapore, there's a lot of old wives' tales that get told to children. And one of my favorites, I do say it's my fa- one of my favorites because it's quite, I, I love it, it's really funny. Uh, but parents tell their kids, if you make a face and the wind direction changes, your face is going to get frozen that way. Anyone... Use that. Use that on their kids. Yep, there's a few. It's not just a, a Singaporean tale. But I find it hilarious because I think the intention of that old wives' tale is to stop kids from making faces. I don't think it works. At least it didn't work for me, you know. It's like, don't pull that face and not when the wind changes, it's going to get frozen. You're like, you just wait for the parents to turn around. Like. You try to become a gargoyle or something like that. It's fun. It's like, you know, it's really hilarious because when you have a baby, you make faces at the baby because it makes the baby laugh. So you have to know somewhere deep inside your psyche that making faces is a kid's best toy. So why does that, anyway, uh, but you know, it it, it was disappointing when I tried it out and it didn't work. and, and this is where, where this whole thing, well, it's not from the old wives' tale, but is that whole thing of when you have an expectation of something and it doesn't work out that way that you were expecting, it leads to disappointment. And quite often, if it's a severe enough disappointment, it leads to a disengagement. Does that make sense? If someone's actually promised you something, say, I'll be your friend forever, I will never turn back on you, and then that person goes back on their word, goes back on that expectation that you had on them, and, and, and it leads to this disappointment. You actually start to disengage from that person. And what I realize is that many of us are actually holding disappointments towards God because of expectations that we have received and, and, and we think about God. And so it's caused us to disengage from God. And why it's so important that we talk about it is because disengagement with God 
leads to a disempowerment. It leads to a demeaningfying. I don't know, I created a word for you guys. It leads to a lack of meaning in our lives. What do I mean that? Why do I say that? It's because I, for one, do not believe that I am some, I came from a line of single cell organisms that somehow multiplied and became a fish, that somehow grew legs and then became a monkey, and then somehow grew up and lost all its hair and became a hairless Asian. It does not work in my opinion. So if you want to be some kind of hairless ape, go ahead, live your life. But I know that I was created on purpose with a design and a meaning that only comes when I'm attached to the one who created me. And we can talk about that all day. You can probably drag up some old message that we have done on a whole meaning thing. But if we understand that we came from somewhere, and we came from the imagination, the, uh, the, the amazing world of what God uh, was, was seeing in his heart, and then he created us, and then he gave us a part to play. And if we live our lives detached from the one that had that purpose and meaning for us, it's going to be really hard to live a life of meaning. It's going to be really hard to actually feel that you're living a life that is contributing to something bigger than ourselves. That is one of the biggest um, regrets that people have at the end of their life, that I did not spend my life doing things that have meaning attached to it. I spend too much time on Facebook. I spend too much time at work. I spend too much time on all those things. So right now, it's important that we engage with God. And to engage with God, I believe that we need to have good expectations. And today, I want to talk in particular about whether God is intolerant or not. Because I believe that many of us, when we think about God, we think about God being good and loving. Anyone like to at least think that God is good and loving? Anyone want a mean, um, bad God? No one? Okay, you're in a good church. Thank you. Um, and I think what happened from there is that the world has given us this expectation, culture has given us this expectation that if God is good and loving, then God will let us do what we want to do that will bring us joy. It, uh, I heard uh, this, this week that one of, one of our own was at, at uh, one of our own being one of you guys, was at work, I was like, what, what does that mean? Uh, was at work and, and had probably um, said to her that um, you're supposed to be Christian, you're supposed to be nice, you're supposed to be forgiving. Anyone had anyone ever say that to you? You're Christian, why, why are you mean? And people have that kind of thought when it comes to God. If God is good, then he shouldn't be taking away our fun. He shouldn't be taking away uh, things that make us happy. He shouldn't be doing all that kind of stuff because he's meant to be good. And so when we come in contact with a God that is breaking that expectation that he's supposed to kind of let us do whatever we want to do in order to be happy. I know when I put it that way, you're like, oh, I don't think that. But many of us live that way. And I'm like, what? done all that stuff that we want and that we, we say that we need, but deep down we probably know that we don't, but, but we live with that expectation that God is, uh, if he's supposed to be good and loving, he would do certain things. 
And many of us have probably come in contact with a God that hasn't always fulfilled those expectations. And when God breaks those expectations, it leads us into a very difficult place where we either say there is no God, which many people have said that, and then, or they say God is intolerant and angry. And so this morning, I want to spend uh, the next 25 minutes or less, hopefully a bit less, talking to you about this expectation. What can we expect from God uh, since He's supposed to be good and loving? And here's my response. Are you ready for a truth bomb? Yeah. I love truth bombs, and you're probably not going to like me very much after I say this truth bomb, but too bad. I've got the mic. So is God really angry and intolerant? Ready? My response to that is, God is angry and intolerant. Wow, people said yes to that. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and, you know, if I was a famous preacher, probably someone would have been videoing that, put it on YouTube, and then I'll get crucified by the whole Christian community. But I'm not famous, so I can say whatever I want. Um, <laughs> but God is angry and intolerant at times. When you read the Bible, and if you think that God is never angry and never intolerant, you're not reading the same Bible as I am. And, but that causes us to have a really difficult issue on our hands. Because who wants to be in a relationship with an angry and intolerant God? And especially in today's day and age, when intolerance is like the number one virtue for some reason. It's a very difficult thing that we have to grapple with. And many of you living your lives and working in places or going to school or going to university, you're going to have people asking you these questions. And so hopefully we can get a bit of a handle on this. Uh, but the, 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 the main thing is that maybe intolerance is not that bad a thing. In fact, I would, be so, I would go so far as to say every single one of you are intolerant. All of you. Some of you are lactose intolerant. It's just a thing, you know, you can't help it. You know? But beyond that, we are intolerant of stuff. Let me, let, me, let me put this forward to you. If you had a daughter that just started going to preschool or something like that, and there was this boy that was two years older than your precious angel daughter, and this two years older uh, a boy that has started to shave at the age of six with, with so much testosterone going through his body, is constantly bullying your baby daughter. Every day, he would come to your daughter and say, you're a fat, you're a loser, and you will amount to nothing. The first day your daughter comes back to you and crying and she's like, dad or mom, whatever you are, um, like so-and-so did this to me. And your heart breaks for your daughter and you tell her, that person's words don't matter. All right, don't, don't consider that. Just get over it. You know, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to worry about that. But she has to because she goes back to school the next day and the same boy comes, says the same stuff, and, and it happens day after day after day. After a little while, as a good parent, at the very least, you would be intolerant of that boy's actions. Am I right? And if you were me, you'd be intolerant of his face. I will find some way to wipe that face off his head. And that's why I'm not a parent yet. I'm still working through anger issues. But there's nothing wrong and there's nothing bad about a parent that is intolerant of something bad and destructive on their child's life. 
Would you agree with that? Maybe you're intolerant about certain actions, certain behaviors, and certain thought processes. We all have to be intolerant in order to be good. Tolerance is not a virtue. Tolerance and intolerance is simply understanding a moral code, a moral judgment that we have to make every single day. And the problem then is how do we make this moral judgment? How do we tell between something that is good and bad? How we do that is only possible if we have something called truth. If we have something that anchors our judgments. Because if we do not have an anchor for our judgment and we simply are intolerant of something, then it's simply based on our emotions. Intolerance based on emotions rather than truth is bad. Intolerance based on truth leads to you actually deciding what is good and bad and and being able to discern what is going on. Truth is absolutely crucial when it comes to intolerance. Let me put it this way. Imagine you're about to jump off a plane. And imagine that you know that there's the truth of gravity. So you're jumping out of a plane. And there's this truth. It's a universal truth. It doesn't change. There is gravity. And you know that gravity is going to pull you down rapidly and when your soft in comparison body hits a very hard ground is going to cause untimely destruction and death am i right so you knowing the truth that gravity is going to do that very thing to you when you jump out of a plane leads you to be intolerant of the momentum that is supposed to be gained through the use of a parachute make sense When we know the truth, we are able to make judgments of what we want to reject in order to prevent an untimely death, untimely destruction. The problem is that our society is telling us just to go on how we feel. And so we're jumping out of planes saying, I don't think gravity should work on me today. And who knows that the truth is still the truth is still the truth. You know, the Bible actually has this really interesting exchange. Just before Jesus was crucified, he had this conversation with a man named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor of, of, of Jerusalem at that time, and he was charged with bringing peace and order into the region for the Roman Empire. And at that point, the, the, the Jewish leaders had uh, Jesus to Pontius Pilate and said, Pilate, this man deserves death. We need you to uh, uh, crucify him because the Jews weren't allowed to do that. And so they brought him to, to Pilate, and Pilate had a conversation uh, with, with Jesus. And through that conversation, he made it clear, Jesus, I have the power to set you free or to kill you. So this conversation is highly important because it determines whether you live or you die. And through this conversation, they were talking and they were talking and Jesus says this line, as in, it's found in John 18, verse 37. It says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. How interesting that Jesus said, faced with a man who had power of life and death in his hands, that his whole 
conversation was, was based around this idea that I have come to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response, as you can see from that picture, is to say, what is truth? What is truth? What, what, what is truth? Unfortunately for us in the Bible, before Jesus could respond, Pilate turns around and walks off in a huff. I did a little bit of research into this, and you can actually uh, watch a dramatic playing out of this uh, if you watch The Passion of the Christ and, 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 and commentaries kind of talk about what, what was going on here. Because Pilate just simply spat out what is truth and probably, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happens, but probably just turns around and walks away. And many commentaries uh, point out that what Pilate was actually trying to say with that is the truth of my situation is that I've been placed in this position to bring peace to the region. And if I don't bring peace, Caesar's probably going to kill me. And this is the situation I find myself in. If I crucify you, I'm probably crucifying someone that's innocent. But if I don't crucify you, then I'm going to have a bite on my hand, which possibly means my head. Come to me and talk to me philosophically about what is truth. I don't want to know your truth, because my truth is that you put me in a very difficult situation. And this is the problem with our culture, because we are responding the same way to truth. We are saying the truth, when you are inconvenient to me, I am going to reject you. If you do not help me in the situation that I find myself in, I don't really care about you. And that is the way that we dispense the truth in today's world. But what we end up finding ourselves in is that without the truth, we don't know what to accept and what to reject. We end up more bound up than when we knew the truth. And how do I know that? Because Jesus himself said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A little bit later, he goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, the intention of truth is not to harm. The intention of truth is always to bring freedom. It's always to bring life. And, and, and it's really because Jesus equates himself with truth. He says the truth will set you free. And then later on, says the son will set you free is this thing when when for us as christians it's so important for us to know that truth can only be found in jesus it can only be found in relationship with jesus but the problem is that there is another side of truth and the other side of truth often is sin and as jesus said sin tries to enslave us the problem is that sin has a very good image consultant Sin never tells you the truth. Sin never tells you what is truly going on. And this could become a long conversation. We could talk about all sorts of stuff. We could talk about um, abortion. We could talk about what marriage should look like. We, we can talk about all that kind of stuff, but we don't have time. And I just want to focus in on something that I think would be helpful for us to understand this. And I want to talk about sexual immorality. And I want to talk about sexual immorality because the Bible has lots to say about sexual immorality. 
And I don't speak to you as one who is on a moral high horse, who is a saint, who has never been tempted, and who has never sinned before. I walked through a journey of porn addiction uh, years ago, and I had to journey in freedom. And truly, I say to you, every man is still journeying to, to find uh, uh, full freedom. There's always that temptation. There's always uh, 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 things that come against us as men. It is, it's, it's a thing, and, and let's not just throw that off to the side. That is something that is so important. But what I'm talking to you about today is, uh, is something I have learned and, and what learning those things have helped to bring in me and what I believe God is trying to achieve in your life. In particular, let's first focus on porn because I actually know people that say that porn is a right for every person to access. And, and uh, you know, some of you are like, man, where does that come from? Well, for many people, it comes from this thought process, this expectation. I have a natural sexual drive. If I have a natural sexual drive, then naturally I should be able to find some way to satisfy it. Porn is probably one of the easiest ways to be able to satisfy that, and therefore I have a right to access porn. It makes logical sense until you know what porn is actually doing. Because many people, when they fight for porn, is a little bit of harmless fun. It is just between me and a computer screen, no one is getting hurt. But if we bring truth into this picture, what is going on is this. And this is stuff that I had to learn in order to find freedom for myself. See, porn is not neutral. Porn harms a whole bunch of people. In particular, when you look into the porn industry, it is actually hurting thousands, if not millions of people. It brings about exploitation, manipulation, oppression. You are, when you access porn, you're actually part of human trafficking. You're actually part of slavery, modern day slavery in today's world. Many men, or even women, as there's a growing number of women in, in today's world, when you talk to them about it and you say, do you know that you're supporting the sex trade? They will say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But the truth is, this industry is broken. And this industry actually has all of these things as part of it. And what we need to, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. What we need to remember is that porn's never going to tell you that. Porn's never going to tell you that your actions are bringing about harm to someone else. It simply tells you the fun aspect. It doesn't tell you the effects of what's going on. But porn doesn't just affect other people. In fact, that should be enough for you to go, oh my gosh. But it doesn't just affect other people. It actually affects us, the users of porn. I know that sounded a bit strange when I said us. Well, human, the people that access porn. And uh, I learned this recently to understand what was going on um, in, in our brains. But you see, what happens is that people equate porn with the sex drive, as we just mentioned. But research is showing now uh, that porn doesn't actually activate um, the, the, the sexual, the intimacy part of your brain. It actually uh, activates another part that, that for many men, uh, tradies, uh, it will activate the same part as a spade, a chainsaw, a hammer, a spanner. Basically, porn activates a part of our brain that is used to control. It actually doesn't interfere with your sexual circuit. It interferes with your control circuit. Porn doesn't tell you that. Porn tells you that is intimacy and fun. 
But the reality is this. I was chatting with a, a psychologist friend, and he was telling me that he had this really sad case. This man, he'd been married for many years, um, came to him to have help with this porn, his porn addiction. And, and he, uh, he said, I, you know, I, I'm at a place where I have sex. I have intimacy with my wife. And then I will go to my study and for the next two hours access porn. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because I just had intimacy, but then I still need porn. And the psychologist said I had to help him walk through this, where it's understanding that porn so messes up, destroys your mind, that it tells you that what you're experiencing through porn is intimacy when all it's doing is activating your control circuit, making you self-seeking, and making you more and more broken. Porn doesn't tell you that. Sin never tells you the truth. The thing is that we don't really like the truth, do we? And so... When it comes to sexual immorality, the more and more we journey through culture, the more and more we find people trying to find sexual freedom. But is sexual freedom truly sexual freedom? Is it really getting us to a place where we are free, or is it actually binding us up? You have to think about this. And not just for sex, for other stuff, but today we're just uh, talking a bit about sex because it's a great example. And... And I had the privilege of having a conversation with someone who was wanting to know more about what the Bible said about premarital sex. We had the conversation, and then I sent through to her an email with some Bible verses and articles that I thought would be helpful. And I got this reply, which I really want to read to you because it's powerful what she realized. And she, she writes, this is not my writing. This is someone else's writing. And she wrote this, after reading some of these passages and articles, it has made me see premarital sex in a I guess I have always viewed sex as something special God has given us to share with someone we love. So I want us. But now the boundary on this makes more sense. Although it does not say the direct words in the Bible, no sex before marriage, it's pretty clear that he wants us to protect it and save it Get this, because sex is something we can so easily turn into sin in a lot of different aspects. This is a young Christian that wrote this. She, wrote, she read the Bible, she read the passages that I, I sent through to her, she read a few articles, and then she comes back with this understanding because the truth has brought her freedom. And she says, now I see that sex is something we can so easily turn into sin in a lot of different aspects. Also, just the fact that God does bring sex up a lot in the Bible, I know he has created it to be something very special and thus worthy of our protection. The world will tell us sex is a right that we can use however we want. Freedom is being able to choose how and when and how often we find fulfillment for something that we think is natural. And it is natural, but God has boundaries that he places in it. A fire is good, but a fire without boundaries is not. A fire is necessary for a life, but a fire that's burning through the bush and about to threaten your family, not so good. Freedoms without boundary is not freedom at all. It's simply chaos. 
But we don't really like the truth, do we? Because it hurts. When I realize my actions and what I was a part of, it hurts. Being a sinner sucks, especially when you know it. So what happens when we do cross those lines? What happens when we have this recognition that I am a sinner? What do, we, what do we do with that? And I think part of it is that many of us come to this conclusion that if God is intolerant of sin, God is intolerant of me. And I think it really hurts when we recognize that. And that's why many of us end up pushing God away because we don't want God to know What's going on in our lives? What are we to expect from a God that is intolerant of sin? I love that the Bible actually shows us what happens. And I love it that just before Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed in John chapter 8. At the start of that chapter, there's this really interesting story. This is account. You see, a woman was dragged to Jesus by the religious leaders, the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the religious ruling class of the day that Jesus was alive in. And they brought this woman to Jesus. In my mind, they shoved her to the ground, paid her no respect, and just said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. One of the most shameful sins back in the day. It was a sin punishable by death. They would literally throw stones at the woman till she died. That was what the law required. And so Jesus was put in a very difficult situation. He, was, he had this woman brought to him, and, and, and this woman had clearly broken the law. This woman was a sinner. And so we get this glimpse into how Jesus wants to deal with sinners. And what he does, really interesting, because he simply bends down, and he begins writing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. We don't. The Bible doesn't tell us, and so it's probably not that important. But he was writing in the sand. The religious leaders were all around him, and they were trying to push him to do something, but he continued to write in the sand. Finally got to a point where Jesus stands up and he says this. You can find it in verse 7. And he says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, I recognize, I realize... That Jesus is intolerant of sin, but he's never intolerant of the sinner. Jesus is intolerant of the stuff, not because he's just intolerant, but because he knows the truth that that stuff is destructive, that that stuff will break. And so he commands this lady, go and sin no more. God doesn't want you to have sin in your life because it's going to bind you up. But the truth is many of us, all of us, are going to have moments where we sin. 
And here in this story is something really interesting because I began to see that there was only one difference between that woman and the rest of the crowd that morning. And the difference was that her sin was exposed while all of their sins were still hidden in their heart. And then I recognized something else. There was only one person that got freedom that day. It was the woman who had her sins exposed. Everyone else walked away from that scene with the sin still attached to them. And it shows me something so powerful that you need to understand. When our sin is exposed to Jesus, He brings freedom. When our sin comes in contact with the truth, it brings freedom. Not judgment, freedom. If we continue in our sin, if we hold our sin, if we try to deal with it ourselves, that is going to bind us up. That is going to come to an untimely end. But when we bring Jesus into the picture, when we say, Jesus, I've got this going on in my life. I don't know how I got into that situation. I don't know how to deal with this. I feel broken. I feel ashamed. Jesus is not there being intolerant of you. He deals with that sin. How does Jesus deal with that sin? You heard it from Pastor Beck this morning, he died for it. He was the substitution for your sin. He takes it away. In that moment, I believe because that woman's sin was exposed, Jesus could deal with it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to put it on myself so that when I die, that woman doesn't have to deal with that sin of adultery on her life. Many of us as Christians haven't learned this fact. We go around criticizing other people for their sins. But when it comes to ours, we walk away. We are like the religious leaders. You see, religion says someone else is sinful, but a relationship with God brings us to a place where we know I have to let this go. It's, a, it's shameful. It's, it's embarrassing that I had to go through that. But the moment you do that is the moment you find freedom. You can't deal with this yourself. And I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to judge. I love that the Bible says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ. Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus took that condemnation for us. Because we have a God who loved us so much that He would take our place. If we can get the band up this morning. And so we are left in this place where we have a God who created us, designed us, given us purpose, given us amazing stuff in our lives. But he's a God who also knows that sin is going to destroy. But I love that he hasn't just left it at that. I love that God's already created a plan, put it into action, and fulfilled it by dealing with all the consequences of sin. So this morning, are you still, are you, are you still trying to hide that sin? Are you trying to hold it away from the truth? Have you got something that is pushing God out of your life? See, God is intolerant. But see, He's intolerant of the stuff that destroys you. His intolerance only shows and proves His love for you. I'm going to say that again because you need to hear it. God's intolerance is proof of His love for you. His intolerance is never against you. 
It's only for you. You read the Bible and there's opportunity after opportunity for people to come back to Him. And this morning, I want to give everyone here an opportunity to come back to God. Maybe this is the first time that you considered allowing Jesus into your life. But if that is you, I hope that this doesn't scare you too much because God loves you. 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 He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. And what the Bible instructs us to do is to believe in our hearts and to confess with our lips that He is Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And that day, that freedom is yours. That day you're saying, God, let your truth interrupt my life. Let your truth search my heart. Come in contact with my sin because I don't know how to deal with that. And I need you, God. I need you because I know I'm broken. I need you because that, there's that stuff that's been weighing me down. Some of you have walked in here with a burden on your shoulders that you have no idea what it was about. What it was about is that sin has taken a hold of your life and is trying to weigh you down. The only way to get rid of that burden is not to become religious. It's not to become all-knowing, but it's to come in contact with a God who loves you and who's willing to deal with all that stuff in your life. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life so we can get every eye closed and every head bowed. I'm going to count to three. And at a count of three, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, all you have to do is put your hand up just so that we know who we're praying for. And then you can put your hand back down again. Every Christian in this room, this is a sacred moment. Why don't you be praying? So I'm going to count to three now. One, two, three. Do you want to invite Jesus into your life this morning? Is that something that you need to get done? If it is, you can just put your hand up and then back down again. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is there anyone else this morning that wants to accept Jesus into their life? Awesome. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Father, I know I've sinned, but I know that you've dealt with it. And I want to invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.